Hey, podcast people fans, Dan here to just tell you that before we begin our episode on Darth Vader, we would be remiss if we did not take a moment to acknowledge the contribution of David Prowse, better known as the man inside the suit. He passed away since we recorded this podcast, and we just wanted to acknowledge his contribution to the series. The Force will be with him always. There is no escape. Don't make me destroy you. Luke, you do not yet realize your importance. You have only begun to discover your power. Join me, and I will complete your training. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. I'll never join you! If you only knew the power of the dark side, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough! He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. No! No! Greetings, mortals, and welcome to a podcast but evil. I'm Dan Oster. And I'm Doug Leaf. And today we are doing our season finale, just kind of uh, arbitrarily. (laughs) I don't even know how many episodes we did. Some odd Uh, number. This is, I think, 34. Ah, classic, classic number to end the season on. This is a milestone for the podcast. I'm very excited. Doug, are you feeling accomplished over there? I am, actually. And I was looking back over all the uh, the different episodes and types of figures and characters we've done. And it's a really interesting like swath of stuff. I feel like we, we did what we set out to do in terms of just hitting different genres and, uh, and different types of stuff. I'm, I'm happy with what we did. It is a true swath. We definitely created a swath. Well, we've been saving this guy. For a big moment, our finale. So we're digging into none other than uh, the Dark Lord of the Sith, Darth Vader. Definitely up there amongst the the big bads of all time. And uh, we couldn't do it alone. Uh, We can do very few things alone, to be perfectly honest. So we've brought on a guest today to help us digest, much like uh, Sarlacc would do over uh, many millennia, (laughs) the topic of Darth Vader. Uh, This is not a podcast for cool people. We've established that. (laughs) Comedian and journalist, editor-in-chief of the Kansas City Alt-Newspaper, The Pitch. He's also got a book out right now that he's co-written with Nathan Rabin. Yes, he's he's, he's affirming with his smile. It's a book, Postal, about the game series Postal. What a topic to choose. Please welcome to the podcast, Brock Wilbur. Hey, 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 how we're doing? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What possessed you to write about Postal? So the uh, Boss Fight book series is a series of uh, different books of uh, video game criticism written about uh, different games, uh, written by different authors with very little rules. You can sort of do what you want there. It's a lot like the 33 and the 3rd book series is for uh, musical albums. Boss Fight is for games. And uh, Nathan had been my writing hero. Uh, and he was like, I want to write about the UV Bowl film Postal. And they were like, <laughs> that rules. And he was like, I don't write about, I don't play video games, haven't in 20 years and uh, they were like, well, Brock's over here. And uh, both them and Nathan were like, 
do you want to do a thing together? And I was like, oh my God, I don't fucking want to do a thing together. That sounds amazing. Uh, and uh, it helped us uh, form a friendship that led to Nathan being my best man at my wedding. Um, but uh, it also meant that, uh, you know, the rest of the books in the series are mostly somebody talking about like, oh, World of Warcraft is how I bonded with my new stepfather, even though we lived on different continents or like, Mario 3 is how I process the death of my mother. So it's all stuff that it's somebody writing about something that means a lot to them and that they fucking love that they think is like the pinnacle of gaming. And then I got stuck writing about a game I hadn't played because <laughs> UV Bull had made a movie about it. Uh, and uh, Postal, if you don't know, is a 1997 game that just sucks shit. Uh, it, is, uh, it is a top-down <laughs> This is right from the jacket uh, of made, the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, and, and even the guys behind it know. They're like, yeah, we, we know it's maybe the worst game ever. Uh, but it's a game where you just uh, are a crazed man who murders a city and a whole bunch of people. And it's fun because... 1997 you're you're an edgelord and uh, it uh, the final level of the game involves you shooting up a grade school and this was about a Ooh. year and a half before Columbine happened mm. uh, so the game was alongside Marilyn Manson blamed for the Columbine massacre instead of guns or bullets or mental health and so it's it's sort of achieved this notorious place in history so kind of went on a long weird deep dive about the game and went out uh, and uh, spent a drunken night in Phoenix Arizona with the creators of the game. Uh, the guy who made it has a bunch of awards from like Nancy Reagan and Barbara Bush because he got into video games early enough that he was the first guy to make licensed games with PBS. So he made a shit ton of like Big Bird and Sesame Street games. <laughs> and then one day was like, I've got to make a game where you just murder a fucking bunch of people or else I'm going to put a gun in my own mouth and end it. And I was like, actually, as a backstory for where this comes from, that makes more sense and is more relatable than absolutely anything else. I don't know. You spend a decade making Big Bird games and and meeting with the Bush family, and you're like, I I think I've gone down the wrong path. Uh, so, <laughs> so my my book with Nathan is about that. We split it in half, talking about the movie and the game, and it's a complicated, dark, wonderful time. Fantastic. Well, if that sounds interesting. You definitely check it out. It's available now. Postal where all finer books are sold. Yeah, I yeah. watch a lot of Sesame Street with my kids, and this is putting a new spin on things for sure. <laughs> well, it's funny you know because you're going to wind up. <laughs> well, mm -hmm. Postal, you know, that goes off in one direction, but I remember around the same time the first Grand Theft Auto came out, and it wasn't that different. You know what right. I mean? It was kind of in the same vein. There's a guy named Jack Thompson who is notorious as the video game lawyer. He is a guy that, like, has spent his entire life trying to get, like, Grand Theft Auto specifically, but a bunch of other games, like... He wants to make them liable for all violence. And he was sort of a guy that stepped up in that period and like was a guest at the White House constantly because you you get a couple of people like that and you're like, here's a professional. And he says he's got research and like he's the guy to say that's definitely not Gunn's fault. It is the fault of rap music and this video game. And I we started writing the book in like 2017, right after Trump was inaugurated and around 2018 or so. People like Jack Thompson and other players from 1997 started being invited back to the White House. And it was like, oh, holy shit, everything old is new again. We're just bringing back the same people from almost 30 fucking years ago to be like, it's not it's not what you think it is. It's games. <laughs> it's probably games. And we're here to, to say that. And it was just like it made the production of the book between that sort of thing and uh, just a huge influx in shootings. Like I just kept writing the book and being like, I don't think it's ever going to end. And at some point, my editor was like, the shootings aren't going to stop. We just got to go to press. <laughs> right, right, right. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, that uh, definitely sounds interesting. So I, I may uh, go get my own copy. It's fun. But, uh, just a fun book to release in 2020. <laughs> I, uh, I have a box of several hundred that I was sent so I could do bookstore Q and A's and they arrived in April. Uh, great so that's timing. Just a great pile timing. In the corner yeah. of a room reminding me 
of my failures. <laughs> Your failure trophy room. Uh, yeah. Very cool to have you here, Brock. It's a big topic, Darth Vader. And we'll not hit all of it. There's no chance we will hit all of it, but we're going to hit what we hit. Yeah. So, I, yeah. You know, when we have a guest on who's tied to a particular topic, I always like to ask them, you know, about their personal connection to the material. So I, I'd love to know, you know, where Star Wars fits in for you personally and, and this character in particular. So for me, I've I've got a, a funny line with Star Wars, which is that like I grew up being the grade school kid that was super fucking hyper obsessed with Star Trek. And because of that weird loyalty, like people have to like DC over Marvel at this point or something, I was just always like, I do not want to see the Space Wizard show. I have no interest in Star Wars. So my only experience with Star Wars was actually playing like the Star Wars video games in the 90s and early 2000s. And it wasn't until almost college that I finally watched the Star Wars movies and was like, okay, so like this is much different than what I've brought in via osmosis about the, <laughs> the series so far from the hundreds of hours of weird side games I've played. Like some of it makes sense in other parts. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing here? Uh, but luckily, Darth Vader is always in everything because... What else you got? So uh, I don't know. There's a lot there, and uh, I, I don't know. I I like Star Wars a lot. I find I find Star Wars to be acceptable to kind of good in in almost all areas. And it wasn't until like uh, it wasn't until Solo came out that I'd ever had like a really a negative Star Wars experience. Mm-hmm, but I walked out mm-hmm. of the theater on that one. I was like, I couldn't see anything. I think that movie was really bad, but. I was like, there's Disney's just bought it. They have a schedule where there's a new Star Wars movie coming out like every six months for the rest of my life. It's okay if this one isn't for me. I don't need to bitch or complain or even tell anybody (laughs) my opinion because, like, in six months' time before this one even hits VOD, there'll be a new one. Right. Cool. And then because Solo did so bad, they canceled like everything. And I was like, okay, so now, like, Solo's a problem. And then uh, Rise of Skywalker happened, which is one of the most upsetting experiences I've ever had in a theater, uh, which literally drove a friend of mine to, uh, Return to alcoholism after a year off. So, like, <laughs> can we blame Rise of Skywalker for that? Maybe, maybe. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, well, fortunately, Darth Vader was in neither of those two films, so yes. he gets away scot free. Er, almost. Right? Was almost. he in Rise of Skywalker? Did they? Did they? Do so, like in, in Rise of Skywalker, there's that scene near the end where you hear the voices of like Ghost of Jedi past. Oh. And interesting, as an odd factoid in there, I didn't realize they were both in there, but they have Hayden Christensen voicing Anakin Skywalker and James Earl Jones voicing Darth Vader. So I'm not sure why they figured they'd have both. That seems inconsistent. Because it was a shitty movie and they were like, what's the worst creative decision we could make? <laughs> uh, I forgot about that, much like I forgot about most of that movie. But um, I didn't have strong feelings about Solo. You couldn't say that Solo caught you by surprise, you know, as being <laughs> underwhelming. Who's going to play young Han Solo? Who's going to play, you know, all these just discussions going on. Was there anyone who was just like, what if no one did? <laughs> was that voice ever at the table? <laughs> Uh, Fellas, yeah. I'd, I'd like to sit down at this creative meeting on Monday and just let you know, my thought is, need we. <laughs> Must we. <laughs> and then the giant pile of one money slide. said, I'd like to object. <laughs> um, but, well, we we uh, default to Kathleen Kennedy. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> As always. Uh, all right. Well, really quickly, uh, this, you know, usually we do uh, a little segment that's sort of insulting. Uh, you know, what does Dan know about the <laughs> subject matter before we start based on no studying whatsoever? It doesn't quite work with Darth Vader because everybody knows a little bit about this character, but not to assume, just to kind of bring us a little bit up to speed. I'll go off of 
the core films, but I'm, I'm definitely one of those people who's like militantly like, there's three Star Wars films, period. So going off of that, Darth Vader is with the Galactic Empire, which of course is this this massive organization that's taking over the galaxy. He's ultimately revealed to be sort of the second in command, the Emperor, Emperor Palpatine. We learn that he's also the father. It's a big reveal if you're in 1980 of our hero, Luke Skywalker who ultimately confronts him and through really triumphing over anger itself is able to turn Darth Vader back to the light side of the force and he becomes good again. He's his true self, Anakin Skywalker, the father of Luke Skywalker, and dies heroically throwing the Emperor down an elevator. Just a shaft, really. I don't even know what that shaft is. It's just for throwing Emperors down. But that, It's just that, full that's... of uh, yeah, <laughs> light and energy and uh, vaporizing. It's, it's a yeah. giant garbage disposal is what it is. Yeah, it's really just a hazard. Dan, <laughs> shocked you don't recognize a power conductor coil when you see one, but, ah. uh, you know, we'll circle back. <laughs> this is why you're here. <laughs> I, it's just a lawsuit to me, that thing. Just, there's no real guardrails. I mean, it is under construction. Anyway, those are the basic uh, uh, points that I think are worth knowing if you just need a quick refresher on Darth Vader. But he also then was explored in these prequels that came out in the late 90s to early aughts. And then there's a whole series of novels that blew out his entire backstory, but then were considered, then Disney bought Lucasfilm and and made them non-canon, which is sort of a hilarious thing to do for something that's obviously all fictional. Um, So yeah, there's just a lot of different ways to go with Darth Vader. And I feel like Doug has a sense of some structure he wants to apply to this. I wish I did. Uh, No, Uh, you know, I I think probably the, the first entry point is to just sort of think about, you know, this character, whenever he shows up on screen, and he's barely in the first Star Wars movie, he's only on screen. He's another one, like uh, we just talked about Hannibal Lecter a couple episodes ago, who's like shockingly little screen time. Same with Darth Vader in A New Hope. He's in there very little, and yet, like, the, like the second he's on screen, you can't take your eyes off of him. He's the most interesting thing. And I think that's why, you know, they're able to get the prequels made. They're, they keep going back to him, whether it's his backstory or stuff that's happening between episodes three and four. Like, there's just some impetus of, like, we got to know more about this guy. Like, who gives a shit about Luke Skywalker or Princess Leia? Like, this is the guy that we're most interested in. And I'm kind of curious to think of, you know, ask you, Brock, your opinion first as to, you know, why is it that he's such a... Um, such an effective villain that way. Like, why do we just gravitate towards this character? There's something that the uh, Star Wars films do very well and, and the universe does, which is that, like, everything that they craft that is sort of motionless has such energy to it. Just like how a bunch of the droids don't even have faces, but, like, you can get their energy off of them just by their presence on screen, uh, how they interact with the world, a lot of, like, audio design. And Darth Vader is that too. Like, I, I mean, he's just a guy that's on a ventilator. They didn't have to go as hard as they did on the design of his ventilator, but they did. And then like, you wind up with this dude that you're just like, I can't take my eyes off whatever's happening here. I need to know more about this whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think there's something that's really impressive about it as a character, setting aside the the human being, Anakin Skywalker, is that the, the Darth Vader thing, you know, he's just a mask. He's a, there's no way for him to emote at all visibly so it's all got to be like kind of almost mime work like his body and then you've got james earl jones's voice and that you know they're able to do so much when like you know they have him and he just kind of like turns to the left a little bit that's all he, they can do and, right. and yet you can tell what he's thinking 
So the design of the costume, that's is that Ralph McQuarrie who gets a lot yeah, of Yeah, yeah, we should There's a bunch of people to credit here for for Darth Vader besides George Lucas and yeah, Ralph McQuarrie is a huge one. His his he's the visual design guy behind all of the look of Star Wars and in fact, they keep going back even like as recently as like the Mandalorian TV show that's on now, they'll go and like, go, oh, what do we got in the Ralph McQuarrie you know, <laughs> file way down there? Oh, look at this thing. Yeah, well, sure, we can put that on Some screen. pornographic doodles <laughs> he, uh, he had in his desk. Let's let's use these. Uh, yeah, well, the, the helmet is very clearly like a samurai kind of inspired thing. Yeah, I mean, which is, of course, in, in keeping with the whole hodgepodge of, of Flash Gordon Western samurai stuff that comprises Star Wars in general. You know, it's funny about Darth Vader. I grew up with him like I was I guess I was a Star Wars kid if you had to if you had to choose between the two. And I and I came to Star Trek later. But Darth Vader, you know, I didn't question his motivations as a child. I was just like he's the big uh, scary guy who wants to hurt the good guys. That's what gets him out of bed in the morning. But it's funny as an adult to look at him now and just be like, oh, yeah, he wants to bring order to the galaxy. He looks around at this like messy uh, cantina scene and is like, we need to we need to clear out these weirdos, you know. So that's it, it's very uh, relatable in that regard. Yeah, I, I get I get the fascism angle for sure. Uh, I think that's a really clear piece of the puzzle. I think there's also a lot that they do. I mean, you obviously get hints of it in the original trilogy. And a whole bunch of it via uh, especially Revenge of the Sith, but some of the, the other prequels is that like between all the fascism, he's in tremendous agony all the time. And there's mm-hmm. something to that. Like the, I, they're able to build pathos into this guy, too. And that's a big part of it that like you realize like he's such a lonely, like angry guy. That Which you don't cool- get. I mean, there's a lot of these things you don't get in A New Hope that are revealed you start getting the stuff in empire strikes back when like you see like the helmet is being lowered onto his injured head and you kind of get a sense that okay there's underneath this impervious invulnerable exterior is somebody who's deeply wounded yeah i mean it's almost like uh it, when you start off with something like phantom of the opera like the second you show someone a mask and a bad guy the first thing you think whatever's under there it's got to be pretty bad like <laughs> it's you know it, it can't be good and that ventilator sound can't be great either whatever's going on there and some of the um extended universe stuff i know like talks whether it's some of the novels do talk about like the suit and like how it interacts with his body and and handles his sig- like crazy significant injuries and a lot of it's like, oh, yeah, he really is like the suit is like needling him all the time. He's got this like necrotic burned up skin. And so literally his day to day existence is miserable, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so and, and has been for, you know, like about 20 years when A New Hope starts. And I, well, I think that yeah. drives a lot of it. Like, his, you know, we're looking at a guy who's fallen from the light to the dark side and that kind of like pain and anger every day. It's not, it's not just a choice that he makes to go to the dark side. It's like, there's things, there's like tons of things pushing him in that direction. And that constant suffering is one of them. Uh, (laughs) Well, this brings me to just really asking you guys what you think about his motivations. I mean, okay. So hurt people, hurt people, as they say in the program, he's an unhappy guy. So what (laughs) drives him? What does he want really? I mean, I I have my thoughts, but Brock, I'll, I'll, defer to you if you've got something on this. It's so weird because I think that the biggest crime that like Star Wars has ever done like to pop culture and the world in general is the prequels, not for the reason that people dislike the prequels, but because of like the idea that they like looked at space Nazi and they were like, you know what we have to do? Humanize him. 
it's very important, especially like turn of the century, like post Columbine sort of thing where like we got real into like, okay, this person did this terrible thing, but why, what about them made them do it? Like, it's really important that we understand. And like, they were a person too. Like it was absolutely the wrong time to go down that path. And it's become something that so much of pop culture wants to emulate and not Mm. to say that stories can't be complicated or layered, but we spent three movies trying to establish like, well, you know, it's fine. Cause he's a, he was a kid once you see, he's a kid. It's, it always goes back to the, uh, the Patton Oswalt stand-up bit about George Lucas coming up with the idea with like, you like that character. Do you want to see him as a kid? And by the, and by the end of the bit, it's about like, Oh, you love, uh, uh, <laughs> you love Angelina Jolie. Well, here's yeah, you John Voight's balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the John Voight's ball sack issue of, of this. And, and, and like, and like, That's instead like of a ball sack, gun, we're given uh, John Voight's ball sack. It's a well-known yeah. rhetorical device. Yeah, I, I think we've, we've all been there. It's the Occam's razor of ball sacks. Um, so, so to do that, and, and so as part of that, you have one of my favorite, least favorite scenes that I've ever seen on on celluloid, which is the uh, which is the scene where he, in in two where he's trying to explain to Padme the idea of like one smart benevolent ruler should rule everything because democracy fucking sucks, and like wouldn't it be great if we did this? And she's like, I don't think so, and he's like, Well, I think so, and it has great freshmen in college who just took one philosophy <laughs> intro course energy but it it very much does play through and it does carry through in like everything that they choose to do with the character especially in like extended universe stuff but also in canon universe stuff and including like the uh, the cool Darth Vader comic book imprint stuff that they've been doing like it's um like it's always come down to like okay well what if his thrust here maintains the same and it's, it's less to do about somebody in pain inflicting that pain on others and more to do with somebody that's like, I believe that I'm right about this. And I believe that some sense of like order and, 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 and control improves everyone. And so like even in the originals, so it doesn't have to be like retroactively applied. It is there. He has this religious zealot belief in, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? A good person in power will fix all of this, and anyone that doesn't align with that is a problem for everybody, and so we just get rid of that. So, I don't know. Either be part of the solution or be part of the the planets that we blow up. Sorry, Alderaan. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't always stay on, on the rails there, but um, that is what he wants. What he wants is not even for him. He doesn't... It is interesting that Darth Vader has never been somebody that's like, I want power, I want control, I want to be famous i want to be an influencer he just wants to really really be the cog in this machine and it's like yeah yeah you don't have to you you could do so many (laughs) other things you you're a space wizard it's fine (laughs) well i think it's really interesting actually because there is a simplicity to darth vader if you really and a relatable one i think you're right i think sometimes we have a tendency to overcomplicate people's motivations uh when the reality is like he just wants control because he that's what he believes and probably because he's scared but like he just thinks that's better and that's what he'll do everything he can to make that happen and there's a lot of real world people that i kind of i always ask that about people late in their life you know we talk about darth vader he's wounded he's broken or whatever like what the fuck why does he care anymore about any of this stuff i think that about like dick cheney who still seems to like try to do evil whenever he can you know like you're on your way out the door rush limbaugh or fucking bill barr you know why are you still doing horrible shit you only have a little time left maybe you should be enjoying life I, I think there is a simplicity to it I think it's just like I choose to not ask the questions I've already got my answer and my answer is everything needs to be brought to heal I do enjoy that one of the Koch brothers this week was like you know what I'd like to be very bipartisan like I think maybe we made some mistakes in the past and I would like 
everyone to know that I just believe in love and want the, the world to be better. I was like, okay, yeah, at 84, you're starting to realize maybe history won't remember you so well, but like, <laughs> it's a little late to undo the damage right. of the last six and a half decades. So, well, to be fair though, he did say that just before he threw the other Coke brother down the shaft. So. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> it really is with Darth Vader a, a kind of an unexamined life, which makes the tragedy a little greater that he, you know, had the opportunity to be a part of something really great. You know, even yeah. though the Jedi Order was revealed to be having its own problems, you know, he he had tapped into something huge and and took the wrong lessons. I uh, I can't say I like the prequels. I can say I probably dislike them less than you guys. Uh, so that's damning well, with faint praise, right? I've, I've um, always said that the Doug uh, scale... No, no like this se- goes lower than seven. But <laughs> it's like se- on, 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 on a scale of seven to ten, the Doug scale, <laughs> how bad is it? <laughs> no, the prequels go below seven. But I... Which is, which is what I, you can do if you don't think that like the first three are sacred texts. Like If you think that that's pretty fine movies, then... The prequels are pretty fine movies. They, yeah, and I don't. Age bad, I don't even they, think that. Yeah, but you sure. know, my 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 feeling on the here's my feeling on the prequels, which is I, I'm the kind of guy that when I see a piece of media that I don't like or I don't immediately love, I tend to just go, okay, I'm just going to compartmentalize the shit out of this and go like, you know what, I I like this thing, I don't like this thing, I like this thing, and I don't like that thing, and I don't have to give it a grade. I can just go, I'll take these few bits I like. And that's as much as I can give it, right? And with the prequels, they're extremely frustrating to me because I think there's a lot of really good ideas in there that, like, if you wrote them out Is as it a the paragraph, space diner? Like, Is that the good idea? Hmm? The 1950s space diner? Not the 1950s <laughs> space diner. But when they're like, okay, uh, if you said, like... So this is a story partly about how the emperor rises to power by playing both sides in conflict and, you know, uh, secretly using different people as pawns to create the empire. I go like, yeah, that's a great paragraph. It was poorly executed. But you can see, like, there's a lot of pieces like that. Yeah, that's a great paragraph is the best review I'll ever hear of the (laughs) the entire prequel trilogy. Yeah. Good paragraph. Could have stayed as one paragraph. So for the purposes of this podcast, the way I'm going to approach this is, like, one of the things I think is is an interesting idea about Anakin Skywalker is, you know, the idea that, you know, he's born a slave and he is put in – goes from slavery into a restrictive religious – cult basically and spends the bulk of his youth in war and then becomes Darth Vader. And I think a person like that who literally that's all they know growing up, you can understand a little bit of how they end up at, you know, no, no, I just need to control this shit. My whole life has been just a mess from the beginning. So we're going to have order through or or, uh, peace through subjugation. And, you know, I, I think that when you put those ingredients together, I, I, I get what you're saying about the prequels kind of doing a disservice because you're sort of trying to excuse his fascism. I, I, I do think, to push back on that a little, I think there is some value in examining how a person gets radicalized, which is really what happens to him. Sure, because it's a preventable, I mean, theoretically, a preventable thing. Well, it's structured as a Greek tragedy, right? I mean, in, a, in the loosest sense. I mean, that's what they're trying to say is like this guy could have been the best of the best. And in the end, he becomes a, li- a living nightmare unto himself and others. But also he grew up as a slave, enslaved by maybe the lowest level of power in the known galaxy, a womp rat with wings. Uh, right. Like, 
whatever he came out of, a like, they were right about the first he was movie where they're like, you can't train him. Like, something's terribly, terribly broken, and they're like, ah, we'll just ignore what we thought about that and just plow ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, look, I think there's a... These stories do uh, endure because of the simple relatability of them, I think, you know, and, and they are maybe ultimately fairy tales, space fairy tales, but we still tell those stories to our children. And so I, I, you know, I agree with all of it. I think that Brock's right in the sense that this guy is not necessarily the most complex in the world, but I think you're also right, Doug, in that we've said this before on the podcast, you know, some of these people, if they just had a slightly better upbringing, might've just been like low level shit bags <laughs> versus like the worst of all time. You know? Yeah, I mean, I get the Patton Oswalt bit about where he's saying, you know, wouldn't it be cool if in the Phantom Menace, instead of being a sweet kid, he was like Damien in The Omen. But I think you have to start him off as an innocent. If you're going to have to tell the story about a guy who falls to the dark side, he can't start on the dark side. And, I just think that's a, that's a little know. bit of a sleight of hand to even pretend that the story was always about Anakin. I just don't think, I mean, his introduction in the first movie, you know, A New Hope, is so cool. He shows up, there's a bunch of people shooting at him and, he, you know, lifts the guy up by his throat and stuff. Like, that's where his story should begin. It shouldn't, right? We don't need to go back to the moment he was conceived. So I think that I yeah anyway no I I, I get that too I, I think um, I, famously I think the big reveal in Empire Strikes Back they didn't have that in Lucas didn't have that mapped out when they did A New Hope and in fact when they did do it in uh, in Empire Strikes Back they did it carefully so that very few people even on the set knew so like the guy uh, David Prowse who is the human being in the Darth Vader suit on the set. Said, he said, Obi-Wan killed your father, not I am your father. So Mark – but Mark Hamill knew, I guess. Uh, obviously, George Lucas knew. Irvin Kirshner uh, and um, – Lawrence Kasdan, was that? Lawrence Kasdan, thank you. So, yeah, he knew. And that was about it. And, of course, James Earl Jones knew who had to deliver the line. But, you know, they, they really did have this stuff. Like you said, it was sort of in the background until they decided to actually put it in. There's a lot of that, as I read about the the, the, uh, production of these movies, even up through the prequels as well, that they're still kind of like uh, flying by the seat of their pants a little bit and making it up as they go. But it looks unified in the end, sort of. There was a a, a great documentary on on the making of Star Wars decade, decade and a half ago, where they they talked to all the big name people and they were like, they were talking to Spielberg and he brought up, so like, yeah, uh, Lucas did a screening at his house with like the, the, the work print of A New Hope and like Prowse was delivering all the Darth Vader lines. So just, uh, and like for all the like action sequences with, uh, with the spaceships and stuff. He just used like biplane footage from like old <laughs> World War II movies and stuff, and like everyone and like the the saber effects weren't in yet, so it was just people sort of dancing around, and and like Spielberg was like everyone in that room left being like, "This is the worst fucking thing I've ever seen in my life," except for Spielberg, who's like, "I think this is gonna do well," and like it absolutely must have not played out that way, and it's just Spielberg being like, "I'm the smartest guy that was in that room and all rooms." Um, like that's always stuck with me i really want to see the version of it where it's like i don't know here's the biplane footage that i'm gonna rip off like it's you 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 get the point you get the point and people are just like no one here is getting the point of what any of this is (laughs) well it's interesting you know there's so much star wars stuff that has come out on the internet in the decades since i know i've seen a lot of the footage that got cut from star wars I'm, I'm trying. I want to bring up the the editor because I feel like they deserve a ton of credit because there's a lot of stuff that didn't go into that first movie that would have really brought it down, you know. And it really was cut into something 
much leaner than was initially written and filmed. And I know, and by God way, bless them from a lore standpoint, because having not known that they were going to be setting the tone for something that lasts for 30 years, like had they have left that stuff in, you would be like somebody be in a room right now being like, I don't know how we fucking fix this. That's like, <laughs> how do we erase that from happening? Right, right. right. I, Every character you leave in is going to have a series working professionally of- in lore for, for the video game League of Legends. And like, I, I've just learned just what a fucking nightmare that is. So, like, the people that worked in the extended Star Wars universe for so long, like, my heart just goes out to them, especially because <laughs> all their work was just fucking erased one day by Mickey Mouse. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, all that stuff. It's really interesting. You know, if you go online now and you want to look up, like, Darth Vader's history, there's uh, on Wikipedia, which is, of course, the Wikipedia for Star Wars, you have two options. You can look at, like, the legends or, I guess, what do they call it? Canon or something? Canon. Classic. Canon. Yeah. So, so all that stuff, all the all the work that people did, you know, writing these books forever and ever and ever, including, I guess, is the Timothy Zahn stuff also, like, legends? Yeah, I thought, I thought the cutoff was that anything that was from Return of the Jedi back in time remained, but anything from Return of the Jedi forward had to be erased so they could make room for episode seven, eight, nine. I mean, at a certain point, I just kind of go like, who cares? It's all just stories. You can believe what you want to believe. I don't need someone to tell me, someone who's got, you know, an official title in the corporation to tell me that this is real or not. But anyway, I don't know. Uh, is it? I, I, I'm looking at the editors here on the original uh, film here, and the first one listed here is Richard Chu. Is that the the one I should be crediting? There's also Paul Hirsch, uh, Marsha Lucas. I've heard uh, referenced before as well. So these are all people who cut that movie into something that that ultimately worked. Just yeah, so. I mean it's a it's a huge task to edit something like this, especially given how limited special effects were in 1977. To just know that, like, yeah, we'll we'll put something in there where the bi- biplanes are. It'll look good. And if and again, trust me, and it does look. I think you know you look at sci-fi from the 70s. The only one that holds up from that era any earlier is I think 2001: <laughs> A Space Odyssey holds up as looking great. But everything else is so just looks like it's made out of cardboard. And it's so schlocky. (laughs) But Star Wars, even the original A New Hope, like, it looks fucking like I could walk onto a a sandcrawler and touch everything. It looks real. It's a very specific aesthetic. You know, you know when you're looking at something that's Star Wars because there's like five buttons on the panel. (laughs) Yeah, they have to kind of keep up with the 70s idea of computers. They have to. But it works. It does work. You're right. It's like a unified theory. Wait, Brock, I want to ask you. So. Is it true then, or maybe you've supplemented your knowledge since, but it sounds like uh, video games were kind of your initial way in. Have you since kind of looked at some of the other expanded universe stuff? Oh, yeah. Like, I, be- I became a fan, and I've, I've I've sucked my time in, and, like, I there's, yeah, there's so much of it that I like and enjoy, and uh, God bless the Mandalorian for existing, because <laughs> just, like, watch that. It was like, oh, yeah, I still like Star Wars. Uh, like, we plowed through all, all of that to catch up the series and a half in the last couple of weeks. And I was like, I, I do like this. I forgot how much I like this when it's not bad. This is neat and cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, friends have written books now. I, I, I read a couple of the comics. Like, there's so much good there happening. And it's just such a, it's such a delightful sandbox for so many good, talented, smart people to play in. And anything in extended universe stuff with like books and comics and stuff is so excellent because you get to do it without needing the budget of a Star Wars movie or right. a Star Wars video game. And you can be like, I, like there's, there was a one shot comic book explaining how C3PO got his weird red arm in the seventh movie. And it's all about like him being on a ship with a bunch of other robots and they all fought to protect him from like an acid rain and they all died. And so he get, grabbed one of their arms to remember them. But like, it's fucking tragic. It's this weird, <laughs> miserable one shot comic with all these like 
Vietnam vet parallels and stuff. And I was just like, right on. So like, okay, <laughs> I, I laughed really hard at the dumb fucking red arm in the movie, which wasn't explained, but like the explanation here uh, hurts. So like, cool. Good on you, Star Wars. <laughs> Love to always twist the blade. <laughs> no, it's true. You know, you, you get a good, uh, I hate to use a term like property, but like you do, you get a good one like that. And, and it does become ultimately, if it sticks around long enough, a sandbox in which you could tell infinite stories. Middle Earth, you know. Is and there's something one great I- about this one, especially that is like the, the converse of like Middle Earth, where Middle Earth is like already like, you got all these books and everything was really thought out and there's all this stuff. And Star Wars is like, I don't know. Weird fucking creature over there. And here's a bounty hunter that says two things and never takes off his helmet. <laughs> Does somebody want to go back in and fill that out later? And people are like, yeah, we can actually solve everything that you're doing and, yeah. and have some fun doing it. Like you, <laughs> everything was just such a broad stroke that they're like, let's go back and you, you, we can give a whole TV series to fill it out. Right. What was right. with that one guy and how he got his jetpack? That's fine. Well, and, and why not? Right. There's nothing wrong with it. There's no reason to be precious. So my question to you then is uh, with your expanded universe knowledge, is there any non-filmic Darth Vader story that I should know about? And there's, there's a lot of great ones about like, uh, Darth Vader, uh, and, and it's in books and it's in games and stuff too. How about Darth Vader still being around or, or being around at different points in time and, uh, working on an apprentice, little dark side guy, somebody like Starkiller or something like that. And you're like, all right, just building like an evil apprentice, uh, which uh, clearly he wanted to do with Luke. So it's already. It's sort of like it, it creates this idea that like, oh, before he wound up meeting his son, he was already working on having an internship program. He had developed the <laughs> rules and sort of the the milestones for what an internship program could be like uh, and just kept just kept losing those kids. Uh, so he's like he meets his kid. and He's like, I think this is the time it's going to stick. Let's do it. Right. So that those were a couple of video games. What were they called? It was like Star uh, Force War- Unleashed. Force Unleashed. And there were two of them. And that was the deal you were playing as like an apprentice to Darth Vader. Yes, uh, which in which in the first one of those games, Han Solo at one point is one of your uh, boss battles, and you run him through with a lightsaber, just like what happens in Seven. <laughs> and so when that happened in the movie, I was like, "We are borrowing from some odd sources here." <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I remember I watched these things on YouTube instead of playing them, and I remember it, I was disturbed by that clip before. <laughs> I saw it happen on the big screen. And then you like murder Chewbacca. There there was a lot in that game where you're like, what are we? The thing that happens with most transmedia around Star Wars, especially in the video game world, at least until very recently, uh, is that like the thing that always made Star Wars games very exciting to me was that like, uh, especially from like even the 90s, they started doing games where you were maybe playing as somebody in the Empire and you were the good guys. And I remember that definitely with like the the TIE Fighter X-Wing games where it's like, okay, one of these, you're playing as the Rebels. And then the other one, your empire and like you're doing bad guy stuff, but you're the hero. So you're, but like the thing that they have to do in all that is that like the rebels almost cease to exist immediately in that. Cause you can't make a game where you push the player that hard into be like, why well, I'm, I'm murdering the rebels as they're trying to flee from Hoth. Like it's just a, a bunch of people on a ship with no weapons. The fuck am I, the fuck is this? But you can action pack that world with other weird monster species with bounty hunters and, and more often than not like, rebellious other uh, empire incels and it's just like okay there's there's always people for them to be attacking that isn't this but like it's much easier to do that than be like we're gonna like track down uh, leia and just fucking <laughs> murder her to death and like okay game i can i can meet you halfway <laughs> I, I like that angle to the character too that he's like as much as he's like kind of uh you know in the thrall of the emperor or under his thumb he's working his own angle 
you know, through, right. through the series, you know, and that treacherous streak in him is like, no, 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 you'll help me. We'll kill the emperor and then we'll rule the galaxy as father and son. It's like, well, that's a really good oh. point. I mean, he makes that pitch to Luke and I'm, I believe it's, it's sincere, right? Right. Oh yeah. You he, and me. I mean, he clearly means it. And I think that's, that's a nice Star Wars is so much about like, you know, uh, there is light and there is dark, you know, very clear delineations. But when it decides to kind of play in the middle, in the gray, that's when I think the, it gets to be the most interesting. You know, Noir Wars. Noir <laughs> <laughs> Register that domain. Yeah. Dan, there are two wolves inside of you, is what we're trying to say. Yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> There's two wolves inside of me. Oh, you never heard that? No, no. I, I, I oh, but I want to know more. It's, 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 it's like a, a, it's, it's some weird ripoff of like a native population story about how there are two wolves inside of you, like good and dark, and people just always try to rip it off into things. And so there are two wolves inside of you is, is, is the equivalent of like there is light and dark. Is, <laughs> is that is that clever? Is that is, does that have depth? <laughs> right. Is it like is it the story about like you feed one or something like whichever wolf you feed? Yeah. See, you know, you you get it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I got it from Tomorrowland, the movie which I regrettably saw. But uh, uh, another uh. story for another time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So well, this but you know Darth Vader video notable video game appearances. Let's talk about that because they're they're you know he shows up. You're right. They, if you can use him, you use him, and he renders very nicely in 3D. Uh, did you do the void uh, that that virtual reality thing? Brock, have you ever done that before? I have not. Have you? I did, and I I certainly loved it, the, especially the first time I did it. And I did the Star Wars one, super cool. You're obviously, not COVID friendly, so not available to you right now. But this is one of these services where you go and you pay too much, but you put on a, a VR thing and you have total freedom of movement. You can move around. You're not tethered. And there's a Star Wars one that's badass. But I mean, spoiler alert: Darth Vader does show up, but of course he does, and uh, it it's it's definitely the like oh shit moment of the whole thing he showed up recently in uh there's a a new star wars video game out called fallen order which is about a jedi who escapes the purge at the end of uh, episode three and is uh, just trying to find his way in the galaxy and of course they use darth vader in it as well and what i love about it is it's nice to kind of have scary darth vader back it's a little like the scene at the end of rogue one where it's like, oh, we're going to let him just... Which is maybe the best Darth Vader moment we get. (laughs) It's fantastic. It's it's literally like maybe, you know, 90 seconds tops, but it's like, let's watch him wreck shop in a way that you don't often get to do. Like, he's usually kind of... He has to be kind of restrained. Like, he'll go into that room with all the generals and he'll force choke one of them for a little bit. But he probably, you know, for political reasons, can't just chop all their heads off, even though he could if he wanted. But when he goes at, you know, the, the character in this game or the, the group of rebel soldiers in, in Rogue One, it's really cool to kind of be reminded of like, no, this guy has like extraordinary force powers and can just do all kinds of things, even in his decrepit physical state. Yeah. We forgive it. But like the first lightsaber battle was, you know, Alec Guinness and, and, and David Prowse just kind of go like, just touching tips, just touching <laughs> tips for a while. <laughs> Uh But you know, the thing was like, then they wrongly thought that I wanted to see Yoda like backflipping. Like I didn't need that either. You know, like somewhere in between those two, I'm fine. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Like I Uh, thought like Yoda, Yoda, I remember as a kid, I was like, oh, Yoda. Yeah. He'll, he'll, he'll like misdirect. He'll do like a lot of like things like that. But like, no, he like straight on, like, will just come at you super hard. And I'm like, I don't know. That didn't, that didn't gel with me. 
Yeah, I mean, we we had the weird pause as if both me and Doug were about to be like, here's where you're wrong. (laughs) No, I'm not going to say you're wrong because you're right. Um, I do think I think there is a way to dramatize whatever Yoda could do in his prime. That's just not it. That's not the right answer. It's got to be something else. But I mean, it would be it cool to so see. It's so incongruous. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, and I guess that was supposed to be the allure of it. Like, oh, let's watch him do all this crazy shit. But first of all, very CGI. And secondly, it just doesn't seem right. Like, there's a way to do the old sensei shit without that. Yeah, I I did uh, as kind of prep work for this. I was I watched a little bit of like philosophy of Star Wars uh, of Darth Vader specifically stuff to get some like oh let's hear what someone has to like really analyze this. And they talked a lot about God Darth bless Vader. you for being like I want to know what somebody on the internet's opinion is about Star Wars. Well, like, I tried oh, to find you... it. <laughs> Can you find it? I was trying to I tried to find something that was like thoughtful as opposed to just here's some garbage I found on 4chan. But uh, the, this person's Luke take is a was space cuck. <laughs> That's all he, I know. Yeah, um, it was all about the fear of death. The, the idea that Darth Vader is all about the fear of death. That that's obviously what drives him in large part in the prequels. Um, he's trying to control death to overcome it, and of course, he becomes a living corpse himself, barely alive. Um, but and Yoda kind of wisely tries to counsel him. Don't be afraid of death. It's a part of life. It's natural. You can't control it. You know, just be glad for the time you had with the people you love. You know, everything he tries to tell him is, you know, the right answer. And, of course, Palpatine tells him, like, no, no, we got this. You know, we, yeah, we can, we can do this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the easy way out. All you got to do is kill a bunch of children. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Doug, you had me queue up some shit. Yeah. I, I, you know, I thought this is a character. We haven't done many characters that have this. The only one I can think of that we've done is uh, the Wicked Witch of the West. But this franchise is so defined by its music. And John Williams does just some of the best work of his career. The Imperial March is, you know, extraordinary. But I wanted to know, like, oh, what was your what was his thought process in, in composing that? And when I found the interview, he was like, yeah, well, I saw some footage of, of Darth Vader. And I got like, OK, it's like a military guy and he's evil. So I wrote some evil military music. And I'm like, that's... Never meet your heroes, Doug. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not good. But actually, I do. I do think that, you know, for all the problems with the prequels, I do think John Williams uh, showed up to play. And did a great job. And so I wanted to queue up. This is Anakin's theme that they use. They use very little of it. But I thought John Williams had a lot more thoughtful things to say about this piece. So if you could play it a little bit. I wanted to read this quote from him. I thought that was cool. He says, It presented wonderful challenges in trying to make it the same and trying to make it different and make it fresh. In Anakin's theme, I wrote that backwards in the same way that George wrote his script. It is really Darth Vader's theme taken apart and reconstructed. If you listen to it very carefully, you can hear the intervals of the structure of the Imperial March of Darth Vader, which is an Imperial power piece, transform into a very sweet and lyrical youthful tune. That was just sort of a poetic conceit, but it was a fun trick. You now hear the metamorphosis itself from something beginning in a very innocent way, ending in this portentous kind of feeling. The music, like the boy, is going to turn into something darker and more complicated. So what I really like about it is just sort of like there, there's this approach. When I, whenever you see a film composer do something like that, I'm kind of on board where they say, I'm going to tell this story musically, and I'm even going to build in, if you know enough about music theory, 
I'm going to structure this piece in a way that includes all these different elements of the character. And if you let this piece go long enough, you will hear bum, ba, bum, 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 bum. Like it's in there very subtly. So I just wanted to kind of give credit to John Williams for, for doing stuff like this, not only in this piece, but throughout the, the saga. Well, I agree with you that like, you know, when you're talking about, oh, there's certain pieces of things that you can take and appreciate, like the John Williams stuff from the prequels is, yeah, it's great. John Williams is, is doing great stuff there. You know, even if the movies I, I'm not particularly a fan of, I have I have no problems with his contributions at all. Yeah, there, there's no concern that you're going to go back and be like, man, the CGI work in his score was just really it hasn't aged well. <laughs> the visuals of what of of those violins, uh, just uh, violins sound much better these days. It meant something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Duel of the Fates, like from a shitty. That's a banger. Movie. That's, that's <laughs> a great piece of I'm music. Fine with it. Yeah, I like it. Okay, well, well, then you, you had one other thing here that you wanted me to play. Is this yeah, this is the other one. So this is a, a piece called, there. I believe it's called There Is Good in Him, and it's a reprise. So this is the, the piece, you first hear this music in episode one over Qui-Gon's funeral. And they use it again for Padme's funeral. But that is intercut with the moment when Darth Vader actually, you know, the, the, the mask comes on, and he finally is in this form, and he rises. Which is a shame because I actually like that scene a whole lot right up until that moment when it's like, oh, you shat the bed. You had okay, something. So, what really am I listening cool. for here, though, Doug? Is there anything in particular? So, what's interesting about this is kind of talking about you know, yeah, the talking about that theme I mentioned earlier with like fear of death. The the lyrics to that, what you're hearing, the the choral stuff, it's Sanskrit, and it is it all has like the lyrics all have to do with like the sleep of death the conquering of fear like the fear of death like so it, it's like all that stuff is in this musical piece that is being used simultaneously as like it's it's Anakin Skywalker's funeral and Darth Vader's you know birth but well, you know, again like that's what you get when you like you know even if substan- the material isn't uh, ideal like when you put a John Williams in charge of the score, like you're going to get interesting stuff like that. I love when somebody behind the soundtrack just has the time to be like, I'm just putting in Easter egg upon Easter egg for maybe just me. I don't know. going to do a deep dive this weekend to Sanskrit. No one will ever come back and understand what the fuck I'm doing. Uh, in the uh, in the recent iterations of the video game Doom, uh, the, uh, the main theme song, uh, if you put it through the spectrum analyzer for an EQ, in the song, the the levels on it and the uh, the EQ actually spells out a six six six, and like <laughs> has nothing to do with what you hear in the song. The song's a fucking banger, but then you're like, yeah, if you happen to be running that through your spectrum analyzer, you're like, no one in history has ever done so. But you hid the devil well, and I appreciate <laughs> the attention to detail. Yeah, I found a cute one of these not that long ago because you know, I've, like I said, I've got young kids, and we were listening to um, the soundtrack from the Disney Tarzan movie. And in the first, the first song in that movie, they build in this like flute or woodwind sound and it goes like, and you realize like what they're doing is it's, it's the Tarzan yell, but in like, in woodwind form. Like they put that, like, I like when composers, yeah, like I like when composers try to like, um, add a little bit of that flair. John Williams, maybe most famously, and this is hardly an Easter egg, but in the Superman theme, I mean, it literally goes like. Superman. <laughs> yeah. You know, wait, it works. It works. They uh, put out a really cool um, uh, thing to, to bring it back to Star Wars. They, uh, I think it's called Star Wars, a musical journey. 
And it was like a maybe, I don't know, a 70-minute DVD that was like bundled with something else. But it was a concert. It was like a John Williams concert of all the Star Wars movies. But they kind of did it. What was then? It was only six movies. But they tried to sort of tell you the story. They just used show visuals from the movie. And it's only the score. And it was really kind of neat in, effect, in like an effective way to like just like, oh, yeah, even if you – you know, didn't speak English or whatever, and you just only got the music, you could still kind of get the entire story that way. Because he's a fucking genius. He's John Williams. All right, so we should probably transition here into our established segments. So what's up first, Doug? Oh, the well, this one's going to be quick. Uh, It's the Dungeons & Dragons Moral Alignment. Ah, yes, the Moral Alignment of Darth Vader. And we've used Darth Vader as an example for one of these, so... (laughs) um, Makes it easy, doesn't it? So I guess you're saying... Lawful neutral? Yeah, I, I think it's got to be law, lawful, maybe a little neutral. Whose law it is can can vary, but like he will stick to it. That is all he wants to do. Well, the, yeah. and the fact that you reminded me that he was willing to overthrow the emperor definitely pushes him into neutral territory. But his desire for order definitely is uh, very well established. Um, all right. Well, then, and then we do the fan casting, and really anyone that's he's ever already played been played Darth- by like five, six people. Yeah, <laughs> but they're always everyone. doing a James Earl Jones, right? Is that what you're talking about? Just the vocal performances? Oh, but I'm saying, yeah. I mean, you got uh, in between you got episodes the one and six. You got yeah. <laughs> you got the human. You got Sebastian Shaw as the human Anakin at the end of Return of the Jedi. You've got. I mean, there's so many people responsible for this collective character. It's kind of all right. So, how would you approach this question? I, I think it's got to be the voice, I guess, because we're talking Darth Vader specifically. Well, not that's so much like so. Anakin. I mean, I don't think there's another James Earl Jones. We, you know, humanity has not produced a second. <laughs> James I, Earl Jones. I, I have been thinking about this one in prep for this because, like, uh, the the deal has been altered on this one recently because, like, <laughs> when they announced uh, Pedro Pascal was going to be the Mandalorian, I was like, in no way is that actor the guy in the suit for ten episodes of TV. Never take off his like that's clearly just like a stand-in guy. In no way is it going to be that guy. And then he was that guy, and everything just like everyone else played themselves, even though they didn't have to really be there in a traditional Hollywood way. So like, yeah, now you can cast a Darth Vader, and you can take it seriously because who you cast probably also has to be the voice, and and would do as we've seen from Mando, like a good actor in that role, even behind a suit with a mask on can do really fucking cool, interesting acting with that. So I, it's, it's a wild new frontier for what that can be, especially in this series. That's a really interesting point. And I'm happy to hear that it actually is him in the suit. It's kind of, I mean, that's funny. That's just sort of wild. I mean, clearly that's just good press to be able to like, no, it's the guy. Uh, but but why uh, would yeah. you, it, it would cost you, you just be paying ADR costs for this guy. And then they're like, no, no, he's in there. Like, Okay, it shows and it's good. I, I guess I was a cynical Hollywood producer type to think that this was a cheap money grab to put his name well, on. Well, I, I nope. mean, like, think about, like, Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man. Like, every opportunity they have, they're like, let's take the mask off, you know? Like, they want to keep showing his face. So it is pretty impressive that they have that level of restraint. All right, well, you can factor that into your casting. I mean, somebody who sounds good. But I just don't know that I can think of anybody who sounds like James Earl Jones. You almost have to, like, go a different route. But that's also sacrilegious. I don't know if you can do this one. Yeah. By the way, I didn't know this, but James Earl Jones uh, has a stutter. Like he's uh, had well, a he, yeah. I mean, he, I've never heard him have a. I always felt like he overcame. He's it. He's the most powerful voice in the galaxy. You know. No, it's a wonderful story. Yeah, definitely that he overcame it or deals with it. Yeah, I don't know. I almost, I, I kind of want to abstain, but maybe that's a shitty answer unless you guys have a good one to, to throw on top of this. Who else could, could play? I mean, you could open it up and be like, all right, well, somebody else could play young Anakin. I'll take that too, I guess. I did not know until prepping for this that maybe the name Darth Vader came from 
an upperclassman that George Lucas went to school with that maybe bullied him named Gary Vader. Uh, no, so like, no. I don't know if that takes some wins I out of anybody's yeah. sales, but like, I was, <laughs> no. it, yeah, as part of the prep for this, I'm like, I wish I did not know that. In fact, I apologize to anyone who's hearing this for the first time about first Gary draft, Vader. <laughs> Darth Vader was like, my real name is Gary. <laughs> that was the original twist in Empire. He just really wanted to get back Call to the senior who bullied him in the cafe. I actually... I actually have a friend whose name is Darth, and what's weird about it is that he was born before 1977. So it was a total coincidence that uh, Star Wars came along later and changed his life. Well, yeah, I mentioned this. Hard. I mentioned this on the podcast before. You know, as much as I love every aspect of the Star Wars that I grew up with, you know, looking back on it, sometimes I have to acknowledge that there was a greedy guy named Greedo. You know, things like that do come up. You know, when you look back on it. So Gary Vader. The music also- is called Jizz. If you want to ruin your Google search history, that's like, right. That's, that, right. That's why I'm impressed by by Doug's willingness to like Google like Star Wars philosophy. I'm like, your YouTube algorithm is just fucked for like a year. <laughs> this like, whole podcast just- <laughs> is fucked. That believe me. <laughs> just to oh, clarify, yes, okay. the, the podcaster is razor is yeah. It's very difficult. No, I really no, do like, hate it too. Dude, I spent a week and the Cantina band. They played jizz. Yes, this is. I was gonna say I spent a week googling like the music of Charles Manson. So you know it's. It's a sacrifice you make. It's not uh, all right. So look, look, this seems like we're it. getting away from it because we just don't have a good answer. Is there, is can no one else? Uh, Hayden Christensen was the penultimate. <laughs> no one else can play the character. You know no. what? It's it's a good answer in that way because like it's like the lottery. Like we had to pick somebody and sacrifice them, and whoever it was going to be was just like had to be a child actor. I was going to have their life destroyed. And he he accepted it with poise and grace. And like uh, history is re- reflected well and it's better than it was at the time. But like that person has just been disliked their entire life. And that is their reward for, for doing this. And like, I don't know, who else do you want to throw to the fucking wolves on this one? Right, right, right. The prophecy had been fulfilled. We offered up Hayden Christensen and we can all move forward. Uh, fair enough. Similarly, who was the guy who played Young Solo? What was the, Did we know that actor's name? Off the uh, Alden Ehrenreich? Something like that? Yeah, not a bad actor at all, but just a terrible, uh, no one can do it. You can't do that. I'll give Donald Glover Young Lando. I thought he was okay as Young Lando. Absolutely. Sure. It was interesting because he was definitely going the Billy D route. Whereas, I mean, I don't know. There's just something about trying to play. I, you know, honestly, I just watched Last Crusade again, which I could say pretty much any time. But I, I watched <laughs> it again recently. And River Phoenix was a fantastic choice to play a young uh, young indie. Uh, okay, fine. Moving on then to the title fight. Is this is this Hannibal Lecter versus Darth Vader? It is, Ooh, yes. Okay. In one corner, we have Darth Vader, the Dark Lord of the Sith. And in the other, the Chesapeake Ripper, Hannibal the Cannibal Lecter. <laughs> This feels difficult to me only that Darth Vader is so overpowered, but I have my uh, a little bit of a pitch to help Hannibal Lecter. I'd, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Brock. Mine is the inverse, where uh, Hannibal Lecter's strength is uh, using somebody else's strength against them. Their, their momentum, he just puts it back on them, and then they wind up running themselves through with whatever they've got. Like, <laughs> do I, I think we've established here today that Darth Vader is not a complex emotional or psychological being. It feels like something that like somebody could dismantle very quickly. In fact, that is what happens at the end of the original trilogy. It's just like he's faced with one moral question and the time it takes him to answer it to himself is like three minutes of looking back and <laughs> forth. Like it, it, it feels like it would be very easy to get inside of his skull mask and be like, what? <laughs> 
like Will Graham. I just, uh, I actually, I have my money on Hannibal on this one. Actually, that's a fantastic point. I mean, really, you're right because Hannibal could probably mentally dissect anybody, really. But like Darth Vader, yeah, not a lot of calculations going on there. I will say, I mean, look, look at that scene where Hannibal Lecter. We find out that he like talked someone into swallowing their own tongue. Yes. And dying. Like, you, I could certainly picture, you know, look, Darth Vader's miserable every fucking day. He wakes up, you know, a shell of a man. His wife is dead. Doug, did you have, you, you had the game, pain. right? You had the Hannibal game, Were you, right? The Hannibal? The, guy, the, Hannibal, the Hannibal dialogue game. Oh, from, uh, from that episode. Right? Yeah, I found that on Reddit. Yeah, oh, you found yeah. it online. What was it again? Give me the structure of it. Oh, the structure of the Hannibal improv game is you find a mundane thing and you describe it like, you know, a, a three bean salad. Or whatever you say, um, a three bean salad is a union of three different kinds of beans that are similar, but not quite all the same. And then you say, tell me, Will. And then you fill in the blank at the end with, you know, what is it that is similar and yet dissimilar about the two of us? You know? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I just want to play that game with Darth Vader. You know, <laughs> like what is the what is the mundane Star Wars observation that you start with? Uh, a respirator is a simple device that yet saves us all and breathes life into our once dead, decimated lungs. Tell me, Will, uh, <laughs> what is it that breathes life into you? Do you still hear the speeders screaming? <laughs> <laughs> the younglings screaming? The younglings. <laughs> yeah, yeah the never mind. No, you nailed it. Never mind. No notes. <laughs> Silence of the younglings. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, as much as I think Darth Vader is uh, more of a fun time, uh, and I tend to favor those characters in the in the title fight here, I think you're right that, that Hannibal's ability kind of... Well, I mean, the Force isn't really much of an asset when someone's psychologically manipulating you because that's what Darth Vader's got. He's got Master of the Dark Side, but I don't know that that really protects him. I mean, if if, if Darth Vader decides to end Hannibal Lecter, he's done. He's, you know, he's not... He, you know, he'll force choke him to death. He'll slice him in half with a lightsaber. That's the end of the fight. But if Hannibal can get him talking... Then he has a Yeah, what a am I chance. remembering? What's this pop culture reference I'm thinking of, which is like, don't let him talk. What is it? Is it do you guys remember what that's from? Um, I feel like there's something I saw recently where there was like they had some bad guy cornered and it was like, Don't let him talk. Hmm. That's I, gonna I, bug I, me forever because I, I know you're know right. The, I can't think of what it is. I can't think of what it is either. Maybe someone listening to the podcast can tell us what that's from, but that just jumps into my head. All right, so I'm happy to give that to Hannibal. All right. I do feel like John Williams phoned that one in. That one's definitely <laughs> beneath him. <laughs> All right. Well, is that is that everything, Doug? I think so. Yeah. You know, Brock, I just want to thank you so much for coming in and playing with us on our uh, our Darth Vader episode. Is there any other uh, you know thoughts you have on on the character that like, something you think we missed or something you want to share? No, I think we, <laughs> I think we nailed it. I think we we gave it uh, better than the series did. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, I don't know, it's one that we could spend another three hours getting into if we were going into, like, extended universe and stuff. Because, like, it's very weird to be dealing with Hannibal that has, like, two or three iterations uh, across a couple of movies and a TV show and three books uh, versus somebody that has literally millions of pages dedicated to them, hundreds of hours of, of content. Like, just like, yeah, I don't know. There's a hundred multiverse versions of Darth Vader. I think we nailed the ones that were important. And we've agreed that maybe making him a little kid wasn't that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> if there was um, if there was one piece of like Darth Vader media outside of the six movies, is there like a, a particular thing that you would tell people to go, oh, go pick up this novel or or this or watch the this run of Clone Wars or you know, something that you would recommend? Oh god, we didn't even get into that, the cartoons, yeah. 
Yeah, the uh, the the recent Darth Vader comic just called Darth Vader is pretty darn good. But yeah, I don't know. He's he's everywhere and and nowhere. My my all time favorite uh, Darth Vader in any of the video game stuff is in the uh, Star Wars Battlefront series, uh, which if if you haven't played, you're basically just playing uh, as stormtroopers or as rebels, just like the chaff. Uh, and you run off into these gigantic battles and you you get killed and then you respawn as some other random nameless guy. And if you happen to get enough kills together uh, in, a, in a round, you can tab in as one of the famous Jedis. And so like, uh, I don't know, sometimes after murdering a bunch of people as a stormtrooper to get uh, respawned as Darth Vader and have lightsabers and force powers and just absolutely plow your way through uh, a, a giant battlefield with hundreds of people on it, like gives you a real sense of the power of being Darth Vader. And I think it accomplished that in a way that like, okay, I'm, I am Darth Vader and I, I know how it feels now. And fuck, I, I want to do evil now. It's, it feels good. <laughs> feels good to be powerful. Uh, and, and maybe in uh, the year of our Lord 2020, when everyone's sad and alone and powerless, maybe that's a power trip you might want to take for yourself. So <laughs> this is Battlefront. Yeah, Battlefront. Battlefront uh, 1 and 2. <laughs> 1 and 2. Do you do you have a preference between the two of them? I played a lot of 1. I didn't play a bunch of 2. I love 2. It adds in like some ships and stuff. I, I don't love the new ones so much, but you can find the old ones are on most of the consoles now and PC and stuff like that. They're, they're still just a delight. <laughs> That's one of you those know, games that like I sunk 100 hours into over a week in like college and just like forever. I'm like, I would like to be back playing that with my friends in my dorm. Oh, you're talking about like the original, original Battlefront. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like to play tabletop games. Obviously, I'm not getting a, a chance to do a lot of that during, like, COVID times. But I don't really have great Darth Vader-centric experiences to, to relay there. But, God, if you like tabletop and like Star Wars, I mean, there's obviously a lot of great stuff. I just picked up one that I'm eager to uh, force Jen into playing, which is uh, called Outer Rim. And it's specifically, like, you're either a smuggler or, like, a mercenary or a bounty hunter. And you're all just doing your shit on, like, the, the fringes of the galaxy and stuff. A lot of great Star Wars experiences out there for the tabletoppers as well. Um, I, I was going to ask, because I knew that you were a tabletopper, like, how much in quarantine has she been forced? forced to play games that she does not want to because you're like i need somebody to play a tabletop game with right fucking now <laughs> yeah, yeah you're about yeah. to learn like to an 18 hour rpg game <laughs> with a thousand pieces i'm so sorry it's going to take four hours to even read the instruction book welcome to gloomhaven <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> gloomhaven has been brought up <laughs> but we have not we've not uh, broken that one up yet you know i haven't really done much uh, with jen in that regard but we keep talking about it but outer rim uh, she does owe me there, there was a birthday gift involved there and and so she's gonna have to play it with me at some point but i'm excited anyway all right all right we gotta wrap this up hey uh if you want more brock wilbur i can definitely tell you can find him on twitter at brock wilbur is there any uh, anything else uh, people need to be looking for right now brock other than the book postal i got some albums up on itunes uh my work uh, in journalism is at the every day of the week thank you guys for having me on this was a delight love oh. talking evil with friends <laughs> <laughs> so great to have you. Thanks for joining us, Brock. Uh, well, uh, Doug, little admin stuff. Do we actually? Uh, yeah, we should, we, we should let Brock go because I think we have some boring admin stuff to take care of. Okay. So boring. Yeah, okay. length, lengthy. I'll let you guys stuff. go. All right, <laughs> all right. Thanks, we're gonna check you down. This. Uh, what was it? A conductor? What was, what's the shaft? I don't know. I was bullshitting you in the first place. It's totally <laughs> fine. <laughs> all right, all right. Good to see you, buddy. See ya. Bye. An open manhole cover.
Great. Uh, that's Brock being thrown down uh, uh, just a murder shaft. And now, Doug, we have a review you uh, you have ready to read to us. Yeah. Uh, if you like the show, uh, please do go to the Apple iTunes uh, ecosystem and leave us a review there. That's really helpful. Uh, like this person did. This comes from uh, The Chris Bonnet. And uh, Chris writes... Gave us five stars and wrote, top-notch fun. The hosts and guests do a great job of blending humor with the coverage of the characters. Uh, It is a well-produced podcast, and I'm glad I found it along the way. Well, um, so thank you very much, Chris. We really appreciate that. Now, I wonder if Chris is related to a previous uh, character we'd mentioned, Steed Bonnet, the gentleman pirate. The world's first pirate. Uh, But, yes, thank you, Chris. Really great to hear from you. And, again, you know, we're going to take a little break. But hopefully people will still be discovering these episodes. So leave us some reviews. Coax us back into uh, a state of high productivity. Uh, yeah, and we won't be gone long because we do want to do something for Christmas. We haven't mapped out exactly what that's going to be yet. Oh, but, we'll, uh, do a, we'll do a holiday special of sorts. Yeah, so we'll do it uh, for Life Day. Uh, we'll do a special. <laughs> Happy Life Day. Happy Life Day. All right. So, Doug, uh, d- do you have this written down somewhere? Or are we just I do. Mem- yeah, remember? I, ha- oh, okay, I great. do. So let's take a moment here at the end of season one, a podcast video. Well, first of all, we want to acknowledge you, the listener. If you've made it this far, you truly do deserve some acknowledgement. And we've had some great guests on the podcast as well. So first off, we've got our first guest was Lauren Flans, who joined us for Jack the Ripper and uh, came back for Charles Manson. Eileen O'Connell joined us for uh, Cruella DeVille. Uh, we had Shakina Nafak on for... Labyrinth episode about Jared, Tara Davis for what we called our Black Lives Matter special, and he talked about a bunch of different characters on that show. Professor Robert Watson from UCLA uh, was on our Iago episode. A. Ron Hubbard from the Bald Move Network of Podcasts was here for Q. Uh, our buddy Danny Lampson joined us for the Iron Sheik. Uh, some guy named Ron Oster, not familiar. Uh, was no relation. For, uh, Professor Moriarty, uh, our buddy Darren Lanning, and uh, our good friend Matt Jones from Breaking Bad joined us for the Walter White episode. Uh, Cole Ross from the Duckfeed.tv world of podcasts was here for Pennywise, and uh, we had Jen Burton on for Hannibal Lecter, and just uh, and Brock Wilbur, of course, for this episode on Darth Vader. So, um, wow, are, what a yeah. slate of guests! We really, really appreciate having all you guys on to join us for this. Uh, Little project we just started to, to just have some funsies. Uh, we do have a lot of figures in our bin for ideas for season two, so uh, we're, I'm sure we'll sit down and map that out uh, at some point. But, Absolutely, uh, and and yeah. again in this downtime, you know, reach out to us, give us some ideas. I know you're listening, and we really do appreciate you. It's been right. a really fun experiment doing this show and finding out that there's a lot of folks out there who just like, as Brock said, talking evil. Yeah, and uh, go to at Podcast But Evil on Twitter to find us there uh, and let us know your thoughts. And uh, with that, I think one last toast for the season, Gentlemen to Evil. Clink. Clink. You're fucking George Lucas, dude. Look, I don't want to, I don't want to bother you and nerd out, but like, Star Wars is one of my favorite movies, and I just want to thank you, man. Just thanks for all that. It's, it's so great. Ah, oh, you like uh, Star Wars? Um, I got some good news. I'm working on the uh, three prequels, the first three chapters. Oh, sh- really? You're gonna do the 
Finally! Oh my god, that's awesome! Dude, I'm so excited, I can't wait. Well, hey, you say you're a Star Wars fan. Uh, do you like Darth Vader? I fucking, I fucking love Darth Vader, dude. The, the helmet and the cape with the sword, that's great, man! Is he in the first movie? Uh, yeah, in the first movie, you get to see him as a little kid. Uh, is he like a little Damien Omen kid, like evil and killing people with his mind and shit like that? No, he's just like this little kid and then he gets taken away from his mom and he's very sad. Uh, I don't really care about him as a little kid at all, at all, at all. I, don't, I just like the helmet and the sword and the cape. That was, was kind of cool about him. Well, hey, don't worry, because guess who shows up in the second movie? Boba Fett. There you fucking Boba Fett, yes! With the helmet and he's a bounty hunter. That is awesome, man. That is so cool. Yeah, and in the second movie, you get to see him as a little kid. 